There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day Podcast with me, Sam Matterface, as we look back at all 10 games from the Premier League this weekend with Talk Sports Football correspondent Alex Crook. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> and a very big hello to the assistant editor of The Mirror. It's Darren Lewis. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> All 10 games will be looked at in detail as Anthony announces himself as a proper red devil. Mendy is a lucky devil and Pickford is Everton's guardian angel. From TalkSport, it's the Game Day Podcast. Let's get into it. Well, gentlemen, no other place to start than at Old Trafford. I was there yesterday for Manchester United against Arsenal. A terrific atmosphere in the build-up to the game. And Anthony played his part, didn't he? He realised that Manchester United are in search for a new superstar and he is more than happy to play that part. He's got a swagger, he's got style, he's got substance as well. And not only did he come up with a a terrific goal to set Old Trafford alight, but then he did the old shirt badge kissing, tearing over to the Arsenal fans, sticking the ball up his jersey, Sucking the thumb as well, just to make sure that everybody knew he was integrating himself into the culture of English football. I mean, Manchester United have paid a hell of a lot of money for this guy. I was talking to Crook about him probably about three or four months ago, and I said, oh, he's good. I don't know if he's worth 90 million, but he's good. And certainly he played his part yesterday. And this could be a major thing for Manchester United, having someone like that to look to during big matches in big moments, Crook. Yeah, and what a difference three weeks make. You know, we were sat here a few weeks ago. I was absolutely on the floor after that 4-0 defeat against Brentford. I really didn't know uh, where Manchester United could go. Yesterday, I was on air on the boot room as that game was going on. I was bouncing around the studio. I couldn't stop smiling. It was fantastic. As you say, the atmosphere was electric. I always love beating Arsenal. My wife's an Arsenal fan. My father-in-law is an Arsenal fan. I've not seen him yet, but I'm sure he's going to mention Paul Tierney. I don't care. Another brilliant win for Manchester United. They're above Darren's Liverpool in the table. That always makes pleasant reading. And it was an iconic moment from Anthony. And you know what? I commentated the Brighton game uh, with David Connolly when the team news came through. And I was a little bit surprised that Anthony had been chucked straight in to such a huge game. And David Connolly wasn't. And he said he reminds him of a young Cristiano Ronaldo. That's a massive claim. But for the reasons you've said, Sam, the swagger, um, the confidence, the arrogance, do you say? That was my wife's takeaway. Oh, well, he's arrogant. I don't care. He looks born to be a Manchester United player. Long may it continue. It was fantastic. Yeah, I thought he was terrific. Um, and I think that's exactly what Manchester United needed. 
And it was a great performance for Manchester United because they used their best assets, which was speed on the break. That is, you know, what they were missing in the first couple of games of the season. Eric Ten Hag has realised that. He's now maximising that. There's a lot more energy in the team. There's a lot more uh, high pressing in the team at the right moments. Um, but Darren, it shouldn't really have gone like the script suggested, should it? Because Paul Tierney did rule out a very good Arsenal goal. Should he have done? Yeah, he should have done. It was a foul um, on uh, Christian Eriksen. It was entirely fair. Uh, Martin Odegaard didn't get the ball. If you're going to make that challenge and you get some of the ball, even some of the ball, then fair enough, you could have a claim. But it just smacked of sour grapes. Arsenal did play well on the day, but United deserved the point. Oh, wow. You're, so you're telling me that, 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 that Lee Mason was right to intervene because it was a clear and obvious error from the referee who was six or seven yards away from the original offence? Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, there were some shockers over the weekend. Clear and obvious error? It was a clear and obvious error, yes. I think had that goal okay. been allowed to stand, we would be on the podcast right now saying, why was it allowed to stand? He didn't get any of the ball. It was an unfair challenge. I think sometimes you have to be fair to referees. And, and yeah, listen, as I say, we will talk about some of the poor refereeing decisions that were made over the weekend, but this was not one of them. Just to say very quickly, I actually did agree with what David Cottrell said about Antonio Ronaldo. I have to say, I was thinking exactly that before you said it, Alex, because when he scored that goal, and even before he scored that goal, he was on the right side of the pitch in the final third by the touchline, and he was shimming over the ball, and he did that little move with his left leg, and I did think there were shades of Ronaldo when he arrived, when he first arrived at Manchester United. He was doing all the tricks and but he wanted to be a crowd pleaser and when the goal went in for me it was almost like a symbolic changing of the guard the camera went on to Ronaldo he was clapping above his head and it, it just looked to me as though Old Trafford had had another crowd pleaser I don't think he will ever scale the heights that Ronaldo did and as you were saying it's some claim to put him in the same category as Ronaldo but I think they have another crowd pleaser so that Ronaldo now isn't as much of a thing as it was before the new guy in town is Anthony and he's got something to say for himself. Oh, he certainly has, that's for sure. What about Arsenal though? They had spells in the game, didn't they, Crook? Yeah, they played well. Um, I think that was as good a Manchester United Arsenal game as we've seen for many a year. If you go back to the end of last season when Arsenal beat United at Old Trafford, I think we said on the podcast it was the, the worst collection of fullbacks that those two teams have ever sent out in the Premier League era against each other. Two sides. In a rebuild, in United's case, at a very low ebb at that moment in time, I thought it was a blistering game. And I love the atmosphere at Old Trafford now. And the Arsenal fans played their part in that as well. I think they proved they are genuine contenders for the top four. They're bemoaned the, the decision that Paul Tierney made. I agree with Darren Lewis. I said it at the time. I think it was a foul. I don't think that was anywhere near one of the worst refereeing decisions uh, of the weekend. But I think that's really whetted the appetite. Where would... <laughs> that, that would be a very difficult thing to do though wouldn't it to be a, to achieve that honour over this weekend um, but it was a, a great match and obviously now Manchester United are starting to look up and starting to think about what, what, what might be Darren because at the first couple of weeks of the season we were probably thinking to ourselves they'll be lucky to get into the top six at this rate but now they'll be thinking about uh, much higher loftier ambitions um yeah, I think they'll be thinking of a top four place now if they can continue this run of form. I don't think we should carry, get carried away with much more of that. Having said that, they were Rashford's first two goals in the Premier League in a single game since December 2020. 
I've said many times on the kickoff uh, that I think it was just so premature to write Rashford off and I was absolutely delighted for him yesterday. Sancho, you look at the two goals he has now scored this season and there is a, a touch of class and composure and confidence about them. And I think that if... Ten Hag can get goals on a regular basis from both those players, as well as a first season contribution into double figure from Anthony. They can start thinking of a top four place and suddenly that competition behind Liverpool and Manchester City becomes very strong indeed. Um, we spoke to one of the members of the coaching staff prior to the start of the game and um, was talking about the atmosphere that Ten Hag and his team walked into in the summer and how when they were training with the players, working with the players, trying to school the players in new methods, any sort of raised voice or sort of a bit of aggression from the coaching staff would send a player into their shell. They wouldn't respond to it at all well. You know, all this stuff that we talked about on the podcast last week and I did in commentary after the Liverpool game about the, the high fives and the, the, the low tens every time they get a block in or, or, or stop a ball from going in the net or deflect it behind for a corner... All that has been brought in to try and raise the confidence and the spirit of a group that was, you know, whose morale was lower than a snake's belly when this this coaching staff walked in the door. So that has been one of their first things that they have done. And four wins in a row obviously elevates that mood, but it's now about carrying that on. And you can obviously understand that over the course of the season, if that was the case during pre-season, then there are going to be moments over the season when they're going to dip and they're going to struggle a little bit. But the very fact that they were so sensitive just in the summer means that adding those characters like Martinez and Anthony into the team was absolutely essential. Yeah, and you saw that actually with the way that they celebrated that block tackle in the Leicester game, Dallo and Martinez in midweek. And that gets the crowd invested as well. I spoke to you about it after the Liverpool game. Martinez kicks Salah up in the air in the first minute and suddenly the whole place erupts. It seems very basic in modern football, but sometimes you need a moment like that to unite a club. And I think that was a big turning point. But I wanted to give special mention to Scott McTominay as well, because I think we all thought that Casemiro... Whoa, 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 crook. Crook. Could you do? Could you? Could you do? Are the song you feeling again? okay? <laughs> could you do the song again? Please do the song. Du, 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 du. Scott McTominay. Du, 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 du. Because we all thought, didn't we, that Casemiro would be in for this game. It was a no-brainer in the eyes of Eric Ten Hag, but he didn't want to change um, a winning team. He kept Scott McTominay in there. I thought he was terrific, and I think the competition that Casemiro has brought is bringing the best out of him. I always felt like he got a bit of a rough ride from Manchester. Oh, <laughs> Probably from me as well. Probably from me as well. Oh my word! But I'm pleased for him. I'm pleased for him. Darren, are we, having this? we can't be having this. We cannot possibly be having this. I mean, Crook, you were all for ship him out, get rid of him, get another 11 players. Scott McTominay, terrible. We need Casemiro. Stick him straight in there. Get Fred out as well. Now four wins in a row. They're all the Harlem Globetrotters, a combination <laughs> of the Harlem Globetrotters and the Brazil national team from 1970. What's going on? Well, we don't remember the Brazil team from 1970, Darren. You might have to educate us a little bit later about that. Yeah, that reference was lost on me. I, I believe. I, I believe in the manager and I'm starting to believe in this group of players as well. So does that show oh, okay. that does that show that, that that United fans might just well have been a bit fickle because like Sam was saying, a bit of confidence and suddenly players that they were willing to dismiss quite readily, including Dallow, including Rashford, including Fred, including McTominay, suddenly that you're raving about them now. 
I always stuck by Rashford, in fairness, because my 10-year-old would never have forgiven me if I uh, chat Rashford under the bus. I always, That's like you, I always believed there was a player there. I always believed there was a player there. Private messages where you were talking quite disparagingly. Sam has em- receipts. <laughs> Emphasis on the word private for uh, <laughs> the folks at home. <laughs> Classic football match, blue versus red. Falls to Mope, then to Davis. Davis blocking against the post. Great save by Pickford to tip it onto the crossbar. Back to Luis Diaz inside the area. Right-footed shot off the crossbar again. Stunning save, the Everton captain from Darwin Nunez. Lovely shot by Firmino and a wonderful, outstanding one-handed save from Pickford. In towards the near post, Firmino with a header. Another great stop by Pickford on the line. Fabinho and Pickford's done it again. Ray's got another chance to cross. He does Sue towards Mope. Brings it down on his chest. Then slides it towards the far post. And in. Connor Cody with the goal. The final touch at the far post. And it looks very much as if Connor Cody is offside. Peter Reid's not convinced. Charlie Adam is. And the referee now is two. No goal. It's five on three. He slips it back to Gordon. Comes to Mope. He shoots. It's a brilliant save by Alisson. This game's come alive again. Diaz, edge of the area. Shifts it wide. Salah hits the post. What and a I think Pickford actually Great got a save. finger on it. That's an unbelievable save. save. It's a brilliant save. The wait goes on for the elusive win. But that is for another day. Everton nil. Liverpool nil. Everton nil, Liverpool nil, the 241st Merseyside derby. Now look, nil-nils don't usually make it second on the running order, but there was a reason for it. It was a terrific atmosphere, um, wonderful, wonderful match. And it was a difficult occasion for both sets of supporters, a city, both sides wanting to pay tribute to um, the tragic victim of a shooting in that city only a few weeks ago, Olivia Pratt, Corbell. But as they often do on Merseyside... When tragedy strikes, they get it right. And I thought the way that the Spirit of Shankly group and the Everton fans group came together during that match was nothing short of superb, really. I just I just thought it was a poignant moment and it just, just basically summed up the city of Liverpool. Um, the match itself lived up to expectation as well. Everton were much better than I think many people thought they would be. Both sides hit the woodwork. But Jordan Pickford, Darren Lewis, was absolutely terrific. Absolutely. He, he proved himself to be the the rightful captain of the Everton side because after a difficult season last year where he was one of the key reasons why they stayed up, he's continued that form into this season. I've got to say very quickly, Sam, I heard the game day uh, match preview on Saturday. I thought it was one of the best bits of radio I've heard all year. Um, I was listening to yourself with Peter Reid and... Uh, Charlie Adam, yeah. Adam, thank you. Um, And it was a terrific uh, build-up and it kind of captured the poignancy of the occasion and the game lived up to it as well. And Pickford, you know, some people deride him. Remember a couple of years ago, he was involved in that tackle with Virgil van Dijk, took a lot of stick afterwards for it. Um, And he has had competition, very strong competition this season from Pope, who's doing well uh, at the uh, keeping goal for Newcastle, and Ramsdale, who's helping Arsenal to the top of the Premier League. But as far as he is concerned, he is showing that it's going to take an almighty effort to shoehorn him out of that first team slot for the England national side. Everton have done well with their recruitment, haven't they, in the end, Crook? They, in, in, as well, have improved all 
parts of their team. They've got more energy, more legs, more character and personality in that team. And they look more of a threat. Yeah, I really like Anana in midfield. I think he's going to be an excellent player. I still worry about them in terms of where the goals are coming from. And obviously, they brought in uh, Neil Mope, and I think it was uh, a good occasion to give him his debut because he's that type of feisty character mm. uh, that relishes in a Merseyside derby. But he's not going to be prolific. Let's be honest. If he gets into double figures this season, he will have done well. He hasn't scored since February about... the twelfth. <laughs> well, there you go. That probably backs up my point. But listen, obviously. I I predicted Everton to go down at the start of the season, um, having also predicted that Scott Parker would be the first manager fired, by the way. Neither of you have really mentioned that uh, on this podcast. Yeah, but podcast, you've sent us about but, 100 uh, text messages gloating about it. <laughs> but I don't think Everton will go down, actually, because I think they have recruited well. Are and actually, even the, players they, even the players they signed in January, the likes of Patterson um, and Mikalenko to a lesser extent, who've taken a, a longer time to get going, I think we're seeing the benefits of those signings now as well. It is just where the goals are coming from. But I don't think enough has been made this weekend because there were so many poor decisions because of what happened at Newcastle and West Ham. The decision by VAR not to recommend a red card for Virgil van Dijk is up there as well. I thought it was a shocking tackle and I think it was a poor decision. I think he was lucky to stay on. I think he looks a bit of a shell uh, of the Van Dijk we've seen in the past. And then there's the Mo Salah situation, which, to be fair, Sam, when we were picking our fancy teams, you said to me, not sure about Salah. You know, didn't fin finish last season well. Hasn't started this season well at all. Liverpool look off it to me. Um, look, let's go back to the, uh, the the Virgil van Dijk challenge. Uh, Anthony Taylor was the referee. Darren England was the VAR. One of the few VARs uh, this weekend that didn't get involved. Um, now, Virgil van Dijk has a challenge on Anana in the middle of uh, the Liverpool half. It's not deemed serious foul play by the VAR, according to the PGMOL. Just a reckless challenge. Now, I saw a couple of still images and a couple of replays, and I thought, that's a red card. It's got to be a sending off. But the officials will argue it's no worse than Fabian Cher last week against Wolverhampton Wanderers, you might remember that, and that they were told in the summer by the game, the players, the representatives of, of the captains and the managers, that that sort of challenge they don't think is a red card. They think that's a yellow card. Now, usually contact above the ankle is a red card, especially with your studs showing. But if you actually watch it in full speed, the initial contact is above the ankle, but most of the contact is when Virgil van Dijk lands on the foot of Anana. And that is why it's a yellow card in consistency with what they've been told by the game. Now, it's important to remember that actually the VAR, who is Darren England, looks at the challenge after Anthony Taylor has already made his decision and doesn't get to choose whether it's a red card or a yellow card, he simply looks at the referee's decision and asks himself, is a yellow card absolutely, obviously wrong? The only way he can recommend an upgrade is if he thinks that is the case. Now, I think it's a high-tariff yellow card, almost as if it was an orange card, if that such, such thing existed. So therefore, it's okay for the VAR to stick with the yellow card. What did you think, Darren? I think what you've just described there is where the practical, sorry, the theory collides with the practical because everything you're saying in theory are the rules, basically, mm. and, and the, the thought process. But in reality, Van Dyke could have damaged the ligaments of Onana. That's, that's the reality. And so as far as Everton are concerned, 
And we all admire Van Dyke as a player. You know how for many months I debated um, that tackle from Pickford on Van Dyke in the Merseyside derby a couple of years ago. Um, but I have to be I, fair. I don't remember you mentioning and, that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Only what? I just think you put him up for Prime Minister at one stage, <laughs> didn't you, Van Dyke? <laughs> He'd probably do a better job, let's be honest. (laughs) I have to be objective. I have to be objective. I have to be fair. And Van Dyke should have been sent off. And you can, you know, this is another example. And it's the reason why, in general, the Premier League are, or rather PGML, are conducting a review of some of the key decisions made over the weekend because they got them badly wrong. And this is one of those where whatever theory you can come out, anyone who watched that game, you watched it, um, you were alongside two people who played the game as well. Um, anyone who listened to it on Talk Sport, anyone who then saw the footage, uh, read the analysis, will know Van Dyke was very, very lucky not to have been sent off. Lucky. It was lucky. I mean, on another day, it could easily have been a red card. Peter Reid was absolutely furious, standing up in the press box. It's a red, it's a red. Charlie Adam was like, no, 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 no. And then later on, actually, Charlie Adam said on Twitter, I got it wrong today. I think it was a red card. So, you know, I think the majority of people do believe it was a red card rather than uh, uh, the the high tariff yellow, as I mentioned earlier on. But anyway, uh, it was a very even game. It went basketball towards the end. The XG was 1.39 against 1.39. Shows you how... uh, uh, even it was, and it was the first clean sheet that Everton had kept this season. Um, what did you make of the Liverpool midfield makeup, Alex? Fabio Carvalho, Fabinho, and Harvey Elliott. Was that a bit of a risk in a Merseyside derby playing two youngsters? Yeah, I was a little bit surprised. Um, on one hand, you can credit Jurgen Klopp for putting his faith uh, in youngsters. I think the biggest surprise for me, though, was that um, Firmino didn't start the game. You look at the form that he'd been in. Um, you look at his character again, a bit like Mope, really. He's got a feisty streak to him. So I think that was probably a mistake um, with hindsight from Jurgen Klopp. But as I say, they just look a little bit disjointed at the moment, Liverpool. I'm sure that they will get there because we know that Jurgen Klopp is a top-class manager. They've been mentality monsters in the past. But I think you can already write off the title for Liverpool. I, I, I don't think Ooh. they're going to challenge for the championship. Oh, hold on a second. Did Manchester City and Arsenal both drop points this weekend? Yeah, but City with Haaland, they're not going to drop many points this season. You, I, I just well, don't Haaland think Liverpool could Saturday. afford to give them a head start. Yeah. yeah, yeah. listen, it was an anomaly and we'll credit Steven Gerrard later, but I, I just don't think you can afford to give Liverpool, uh, sorry, give Manchester City the head start that Liverpool have. So okay. yeah, Let's I'll say start. it. What are we, the 5th of September, tight, Liverpool out, are out of the title race. There you go. Bold, oh. First bold claim of the season. It won't be the last. Uh, last <laughs> week he was berating Steven Gerrard being a useless manager and he's going to give him credit in about five minutes' time. <laughs> Stay tuned for that, folks. Uh, it's a happier, what, it's a happier outlook here today from me. You'll see that. Yeah, Every, everybody. I wonder brilliant. why. More controversy uh, from Saturday. Uh, Chelsea beat West Ham two one. David Moyes furious afterwards because West Ham had an equaliser disallowed. Was he right to be absolutely furious? And what was the atmosphere like in the tunnel afterwards? Was he effing, jeffing, and going into one crook? 
He certainly was. Um, the radio position for post-match interviews is right at the the, the tip of the tunnel um, at Stamford Bridge, and I didn't realise it before Saturday. But actually, it's right next to the officials' office. Yeah. I realised it on Saturday because all you could hear from that officials' office was a very angry Scotsman, and every other word uh, was F. And listen, I understand because for me, that was the worst decision that we've seen since the technology came in. In in nobody's world was that a foul on the goalkeeper. And he'd already lost control of the ball anyway. Cornet rounds Mendy, who made a real mistake, and he's been let off by the officials, finishes brilliantly into the top corner. And West Ham should have had a point. Um, VAR should never have even got involved. Once they did, and it was Jared Gillett, who I think is a really poor official, by the way, the on-field referee should have had the courage in his convictions, having seen the replay, to say, no, that's not a foul. And the goal stands. If anything, Jared Bowen is guilty of leaving a leg in on Mendy to try and win himself a penalty. But it's not a foul. Um, I don't understand why Jared Gillett, who was brought in as a VAR expert from Australian football, has even pressed his button at Stockley Park during this incident, Darren. Because Bowen collides with Mendy. Mendy, I say collides I mean that's an exaggeration isn't it I mean they come together I don't think it's a foul what I don't get is why VAR has even thought to try and draw the attention of Andy Madley to it because it is not a clear and obvious error and it was supposed to be minimum interference maximum outcome that was the VAR mantra this is maximum interference and a complete change to the result of a football match. I mean, the argument from the other side would be that if they'd allowed that goal and Mendy was down injured and he was actually really hurt, we'd all be just as vocal. And you mentioned that um, with the incident with Christian Eriksen and, and Erdegaard uh, earlier on. And we don't know what would have happened had that uh, uh, have been the case. But ultimately, this is an aberration of a decision from the uh, VAR, isn't it? And it's affected the outcome of a match. Well, first of all, Jared Gillette does have form. Um, he does have form with West Ham as well. I was at the game against Brighton where he disallowed a goal, a legitimate goal for West Ham, believing that there had been an offside. He was the only person in the stadium to see it. Uh, there was just as much colourful language from David Moyes back then, legitimately so, as there was on Saturday. Uh, Jared Gillett also has form with Arsenal as well, disallowing goals that should have been allowed to stand. He is a very trigger-happy official. And there some, seems to be a, a kind of loving with him because he was fast-tracked into the Premier League after, I think, something like nine Football League games, something very small indeed. So he isn't very experienced. I don't want to say that in an insular way in terms of English football is the pinnacle and whatever else. But, yeah, the but fact it's a little is, bit different to the A-League, isn't it? Well, indeed. He isn't very good. Never mind experience, he just isn't very good. Absolutely. And they have fast-tracked him in there and he is making decisions that are neither clear nor obvious. And I think that has to form part of the review that the Premier League have because somebody has shoehorned him into a position that is costing teams points managers money because they're complaining about the decisions and legitimately so and I just think everything about that decision at the weekend was wrong and I want to see who's going to be able to come out and defend the indefensible over this because I think David Moyes is going to get unfairly punished by the FA and this whole culture around not being able to say what everybody else can see and has been saying is archaic and needs to be addressed.
Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, why can't you turn around and say, I disagree with a decision that has been made? And that I, I don't think that's bringing the game into disrepute. It's turning around and, and being honest and everyone else can see it and say it anyway. So there's no reason why a manager or a player should be fined. Um, I know Declan Rice said it was a shambles and then deleted his tweet afterwards because I think he was very emotional after the game. In fact, he said something to Ben Chilwell in the uh, in, in the tunnel to that effect as well. Um, just a quick focus on Chelsea. They're they're boring. Oh, they certainly are. Um, you know, for an hour, that game was a complete non-event. Credit to West Ham for, for coming to stifle and frustrate Chelsea. But they have nothing in attack, Chelsea. You know, Raheem Sterling played in the false number nine. Barring one run in the first half where he looked like he c- could commit defenders, he was really on the periphery. He was dropping too deep into midfield. They brought on Kai Havertz, didn't apart from the goal, didn't do a lot. Actually, the big change they made was Ben Chilwell. They looked a much better team uh, when Chilwell came on. A goal and an assist for him does make you question why they really needed to spend £62 million on Mark Kukurea when they already had a better left-back in the building. They will be better with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, but I do think, actually, Thomas Tuchel is quite an attritional manager. And even with Aubameyang and, and Chilwell... Uh, bombing down that left-hand side. I think Chelsea fans are going to have to get used to some pretty dull football this season. Um, they didn't have a shot on target until the 65th minute. Wow. Um, how much did they spend in a transfer? I can't remember. Was it world record sort of transfer? I think, yeah. I think it was. I think they spent it quite was, a lot of it money. It was over a quarter of a billion pounds. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh dear. Um, okay, let's move on because there were some other cracking games that we've got to get to. Let's uh, look at Brentford against Leeds. Another manager losing his head. Um, but whereas um, Ivan Tony was on fire, Jesse Marsh may have been breathing it because I pointed out in the uh, podcast on Thursday night that I felt that Jesse Marsh was becoming a little bit, a little bit too edgy because it's all right having a view and being in the game and emotional and passionate. But I think sometimes he crosses the line. He's got a bit of an edge to him. He's a bit aggressive. He's a bit too in the face of the officials. And that came to bear on Saturday afternoon. Um, I don't think he did himself any favours, actually. Uh, His team obviously felt as if they deserved the penalty. That was another one of those big decisions. I actually thought the Somerville penalty was a bit 50-50, really. Could have gone either way. Yeah, it was a challenge by Aaron Hickey on Crescencio Somerville. And actually, I've got a little bit of sympathy uh, for Jesse Marsh, even though... During the course of these very brief opening weeks of the season, he's annoyed a couple of people with his conduct on the touchline, not least Bruno Lage, who refused to shake his hand at the end of the game against Wolves because he said, look, we all get combustible on the touchline, but some of the stuff he says and puts it down to the heat of battle is unacceptable. So when he came to shake, he said, shaking your hand, move away from me. And and I, I, I get that, you know, but... I think the incident at the weekend kind of sums up the culture of VAR and refereeing because what he was trying to do was get Robert Jones, a referee, to review the challenge. What's what's wrong with that? Tell me what's so wrong with that. And and this is the problem, that there is almost an arrogance okay. in that culture. And I don't want to malign Robert Jones, but I just want to say he's trying to say at least look I don't yeah. see what the harm in doing that is. Uh, uh, but, but if you say, at least look, then fair enough. If you storm onto the pitch, as he did, onto the playing surface, demanding a VAR review, bearing in mind that it is in the laws of the game, 
if you persistently do this or call yes, for a yeah. VAR review, yeah. you get a yellow card, right? So it is against the laws of the game. Then you will be punished. Um, but that's, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with his conduct. I agree with the sentiment, but you're right. I, I agree. agree. The conduct, I, I, I don't... There's no, there's I no reason. Is it, we're, an, we're all adults. So there's no reason why we can't criticise a refereeing decision. There's no reason why we can't ask, excuse me, I really think it'd be good if you looked at it again. If the referee and the fourth official say no... I understand. Obviously, in the heat of that, when we're all there, it's not going to be said in the most polite terms. We understand that. But coming onto the pitch, swearing at a fourth official, if that indeed was the case, then he deserved to be sent off. And look, as you say, he has form for it. And I wonder, actually, Crook, whether or not fans initially sort of buy into that. He's sort of wearing his heart on his sleeve. He's, he's fighting for the badge. That lasts a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden, actually, even your home fans start thinking, all right, mate, pipe down. I don't know about that, actually. Um, I mean, I think he's in danger of becoming a bit of a, a caricature of himself, but I think Leeds fans uh, will buy into it. <clears throat> they like that us-against-the-world mentality anyway, so I don't think he's got a problem in terms of that. I think, really, it's a little bit unfair on Ivan Tony that Marsh's conduct on the touchline is taking away from what was a brilliant centre-forwards performance. I mean, the, the, the two goals he scored, the free kick um, and, and the one where he obviously took Third advantage one. of a goalkeeping error... What a finish that was. I mean, what composure uh, and calmness from a player at the very top of his game. And there is a, there is a slot as, as Harry Kane's understudy at the World Cup. There's no obvious candidate. Callum Wilson is injured. Ollie Watkins' form has tailed off. We've always got the impression, I think, that Gareth Southgate doesn't really trust in Tammy Abraham. So there is a role there, I think, at the World Cup for, for Ivan Tony. I think Tammy Abraham's still the first cab off the rank um, and certainly has been for a little while now. And, you know, Gareth, I, I know, has, has looked at the, the way that Tammy plays and he said if a chance falls in the penalty area to any one of those backup strikers, you'd want it to be Tammy rather than anybody else. But Ivan Tony's certainly sticking his hand up and asking for a bit of attention. I mean, that free kick was absolutely outstanding and the, the, the finish for the third goal was so cool and calm because you can rush that you can you can get excited you can see the opportunity and you can think oh hold on I've got to get this done now because otherwise people are going to get back on the line but he didn't he took his time he knew exactly what he was doing and he, he slotted it brilliantly and as Thomas Frank said to me a couple of years ago this guy's the best penalty taker in the world um, so it was never any doubt that he was going to convert uh, from the spot it's another good victory for them and another great bit of entertainment from Brentford 5-2 um, they beat Leeds United um, let's head off to the game between uh, Nottingham Forest and Bournemouth because that was another rip-roaring encounter um, I think I said in the preview show Darren that um, bearing in mind that these two had scored two goals each this season, this was a guaranteed nil-nil. <laughs> How wrong you were. Yes. Um, I think as far as Bournemouth are concerned, um, a lot of people expected them to fold and they didn't. I wouldn't get too carried away because I remember there was a bit of a bounce after Sean Dyche left Burnley and lots mm. of people said, see, they were right to sack Sean Dyche and then obviously we know what happened there. I think as far as Bournemouth are concerned, they have responded for Gary O'Neill. He went very front foot when Nottingham Forest went 2-0 up um, and Forest had no answer to it. We will see in the coming weeks whether that's adrenaline and a bit of a bounce or whether that is the start of something quite special. They've got a very winnable home game, I would say, even though Brighton are in good form. I think if they can take points off Brighton, then I'll start to believe that maybe they're on the way to something that will confound Scott Parker. 
Yeah, I can't see them taking too many points off Brighton. Um, all three of their goals, Billing, Solanke and Jaden Anthony, were absolutely terrifically worked, weren't they? They all had great hallmarks. Solanke's brilliant overhead kick, Billing's wonderful rocket, and Jaden Anthony finishing off a, a move which started with Solanke hunting in the right wing uh, position. But this game actually turned, as Darren said, when Gary O'Neill made a tactical switch um, halfway through the game, they were 2-0 down. He went to a back three, got the full-backs higher up the pitch. And as a result of that... The, the game turned. Is Gary O'Neill a contender for the top job there? I don't think so. Um, he was asked whether he wanted it, whether he put his hat into the ring at the pre-match press conference. He was quite coy about that and said it's not really up to him if the club want to keep him longer term. It's up to them to initiate that conversation. I think they are looking for someone uh, with a bit more experience. There's no obvious candidate out there. I, w- I would say that. They didn't sack Scott Parker with a replacement in mind. I said at the time, I think Gary O'Neill will be given the four games uh, between Parker's dismissal and the international break. I think that will still be the case. And there is an argument, if he does okay in the next round of fixtures going into that international break, maybe even to keep him and his coaching staff in situ until the World Cup, because I think there's only six games after the international break, six Premier League games before the World Cup. And then you've got a whole tournament uh, to possibly find a replacement. And I think... At that time, there may be other managers that suddenly become available that are already employed. So it's fascinating to see which direction that Bournemouth go in. But I was speaking to Dominic Solanke um, after the Wolves game in midweek when they were a bit fortunate actually to get a point. Wolves had enough chances to win it. But he came out with actually quite a cutting line when it comes to Scott Parker. And I maybe didn't realise it at the time. But he said, this is a club that always has faith in their players. And obviously there was a sense that Scott Parker didn't have faith in these players when it came to the Premier League. And I wonder if uh, subconsciously that's created a bit of a siege mentality that we saw in the second half of the city ground. Mm. Uh, We know Gary very well. Uh, We spent a lot of time with him when he was in Portsmouth and beyond that. Um, He's worked with us at TalkSport a couple of times. And I know even five, six, seven years ago, he was working at Norwich. He was uh, one of the players there under Alex Neil. Alex Neil was quite a young manager at the time. I think he was 34. I remember Gary saying to me, look, I never thought I'd wanted to be a manager, but I've worked with Alex, and if he can do it at 34, that's what I want to do. Gary's worked at Liverpool as a coach. He's worked at Bournemouth as a coach. He's worked at West Ham as a coach. He's been around the block a little bit now. Um, and certainly, I, I think he... I think he wants to be a manager. Whether or not it is too early for him to step into this breach, I don't know. But it, 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 it could be a good opportunity for him. You never know. It depends, I suppose, what, as Darren says, what happens over the course of the next few games. But uh, three points on the board. All right, time to move on. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Towards Mope, brings it down his chest, then slides it towards the far post, and in, Connor Cody. And it looks very much as if Connor Cody is offside, no goal. Still no win for Everton, but this will feel like one. What is Edward Mendy doing? It's 2-2, two, two, Chelsea 2, West Ham 2. The goal has been ruled out. Drives it in, Kane finishes off and Spurs have a second. And Tottenham Hotspur remain undefeated in the Premier League. Aston Villa 1, Manchester City 1, Villa Park has erupted. City have paid for all those missed chances. Drop points for Pep tonight. Goalkeeper and Joe Willock colliding in the middle. He's now given a free kick against Willock. No goal. We didn't see this coming at half-time when Forrest led 2-0, but Bournemouth are now 3-2 up. Brighton 5, Leicester 2, but for Danny Ward, they would have had double figures. And for Brendan Rodgers, the questioning will get a lot, lot heavier. Manchester United 0, Arsenal 1. Here we go, he's overturned it, no goal, free kick, halfway line, 0-0. Manchester United 3, Arsenal 1, it's Marcus Rashford with his second goal of the game. Tottenham 2, Fulham 1 and Tottenham dominated this game an XG of 2.68 against an XG of 0.38 the only real saving grace for Fulham was that wonderful Mitrovic goal 7 minutes from time Uh, but Tottenham started really brightly they made 5 changes to their team I wonder whether or not bearing in mind uh, Crook has ruled out Liverpool as title contenders Darren whether Tottenham are title contenders this year I've said for many months now that Tottenham can compete for the title. Um, And there were guffaws at first. And I think gradually more and more people are stepping into or daring to at least put a toe into that particular corner. Because when you've got the firepower they have, when you've got the depth that they have, and when you've got a manager who knows how to win titles and bridge gaps like they have... Why would they not be contenders for the title? I think as far as the season's gone so far, they haven't played particularly well, but you don't get extra points for artistic impression. you just got to get the job done. And they are slowly getting into form. Bear in mind too, Son didn't score another wretched afternoon for him. But I think he'll improve. Richarlison really finding his stride as a Spurs player. And there were good performances yet again on the flanks this time from Ryan Sessegnon on the left side, who was uh, instrumental in, in, in a couple of really good phases of play, including the disallowed goal for Richarlison. I think the best is still yet to come from Spurs. And as the season goes on, more and more people are going to start sitting up and taking notice of them. Uh, Richarlison with a wonderful scissor kick volley from the edge of the penalty area which deserved a goal it cracked off the inside of the post but it was an absolutely brilliant uh, effort from him the technique to to get that under control and manage to to execute that shot was was sensational but I'm I'm a little bit unsure brilliant performance by him by the way I thought he was terrific during the course of the game his first start for them Uh, but um, not sure not sure about exposing to the world that you spent your summer wearing a vest uh, because when <laughs> celebrating the goal that was disallowed, he took his shirt off and revealed that he's got a half and half tan and the half and half is in the shape of a vest. And I was like, oh mate, 
you must know that that's the case. Either fill in the blanks with a bit of fake tan or, or don't wear a vest. Why are you wearing a vest? Don't do it. Outrageous behaviour. Maybe he's not quite as vain as you, Sam, in credit to Richarlison. I'm going to suggest that maybe, maybe, maybe we're on a par. I don't know. Um, Wolves beat Southampton by a goal to nil. Wolves uh, had only scored two goals before this game and Southampton had actually been on a decent run of form. But defeat for Saints, a goal for Wolves, a victory for Wolves for the first time in about seven years. What was more surprising, Crook? Um, I always thought this would be a, a, a tough game. What was more surprising was Shea Adams managing to miss from a yard out and heading was, the ball. That, that was, that was on- brilliant. Under his own arm. And I feel sorry for Shay because he's he's been in brilliant form. So, uh, yeah, uh, he certainly ran out of luck there. But it's a big win for Wolves. First win in 154 days, I think, um, officially and much needed for Bruno Large. But obviously the fascinating story to come out of the game uh, is the unfortunate injury to Sasa Kalajic, their six-foot-seven-inch striker. Uh, ACL issue for him. He'll be out for several months. Diego Costa uh, jetting in this week to undergo medical tests and could well be a Wolves player. That is going to be absolutely fascinating, whoa, 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 having whoa. not played since last December. Which Diego Costa is this? Just, just, just to clarify to everyone, who is this? Is this the Diego Costa from Chelsea? This is the Diego Costa that uh, was such a menace for Premier League defenders and for Premier League managers in the form of Antonio Conte Hold when on. he was last here. He's older than Darren. How is he? How is this? How is this going to happen? Well, listen, he's flying in. I think he's expected at the training ground on Tuesday. I was told initially for a trial, uh, other people are reporting it won't be a trial. It will be simply to undergo medical examinations. And if he passes those, he will be registered as a Wolves player. I mean, clearly this is George Mendes once again um, helping out uh, the men from Molyneux. I think it's going to be brilliant to see what happens. I think it's going to be box office, as Costa often is. Um, Darren, I mean, it's really sad for Sasa Kalajic. I mean, the last thing you want is to move to a new club and then get an injury like this so early in your tenure. But, um, I mean, this is a blockbuster story, isn't it? It really is. For people uh, like me at at newspapers looking for subplots, well, you don't have to look very hard, do you? (laughs) I mean, the, the Premier League has got so many fantastic subplots already, but... This guy, who was a nightmare for def- nightmare for defenders, and as we've been saying, even for managers as well, he, he is quite some player. He knows where the goal is. It's just a question of how fit he is at the moment. But if they can work on a plan that where he doesn't have to expend that much energy, simply focus on doing what he does best, he could be fantastic for Wolves. I was just looking actually while Crook was um, talking the date you're looking for is Saturday the 8th of October because that is when Diego Costa goes back should he sign for Wolves to Chelsea. (laughs) Chelsea. Uh, Actually no let me do that again. I was just looking actually um, along uh, the line for the dates of when uh, he would play and the date that you're looking for is, and I will find it in a second, Drum roll. It is March the 4th, because that is when Wolves host Spurs. And obviously, um, if Costa were to sign, he would be up against Antonio Conte, the guy who basically gave him the bullet from Chelsea. So yeah, friends right really but, but let's be honest, March the 4th, is he still going to be around by then? You know, we are, you're asking a lot, you know. 
you know, you no, know, no, sidetrack, end up getting into a boxing ring in Brazil and dragging a <laughs> pack of beer Cage fight. across the floor <laughs> and doing and doing an interview with one of the Sky reporters by then. Surely, uh, that 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 that's what he's all about. Oh, well, good luck, good luck to him. Good luck to Wolves because they need goals. The goal they did score from Daniel Podence was about as lucky as you can imagine as well because he completely mishit it, which uh, uh, spooned over Gavin Bazunu as Sam- a. A serious note, though, Sam, they've only scored four goals all season, um, yeah. all season in, in this six games so far. They're the lowest scorers in the Premier League. So they do need something as a matter of urgency. Mm-hmm. So you can see why they've turned to him with very few other options available to them outside of the window. Hold on, hold on a second, hold uh, on a second. It, Teddy, Teddy Sheringham's just texted me, he says he's available as well. <laughs> <laughs> so's Jeff Hurst. <laughs> so brutal. <laughs> uh, Newcastle nil, Crystal Palace nil. Crook said earlier on, rather scandalously, uh, that this was the worst error in VAR history when they ruled out the West Ham goal. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, I, 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 I try to raise you uh, by bringing in Tyreek Mitchell, Joe Willock and Vincente Guaita at Newcastle on uh, Saturday afternoon. I think this was absolutely the worst mistake of the weekend because it is clear... And it is obvious that this should be a goal. Lee Mason should not be getting involved with this situation unless he is clear that there has been a foul by Joe Willock. The evidence of your eyes and the evidence of the video footage is absolutely clear. The reason that Willock crashed into the goalkeeper is because he's pushed by a Crystal Palace player. Therefore, it is a foul on Willock, not a foul by Willock on the goalkeeper. The goal should stand. That is it. There is no discussion about it. It should have taken about one minute for him to review that footage and then move on. It's a goal. Crack on. That changes the nature of the game because this is a game that actually was bossed from start to finish by Newcastle United. The XG was amazing. 2.91 2.91 for Newcastle to 0.92 for Crystal Palace. The chances that they had, I think probably, I mean, Isaac spurned a chance early in the game. There was a couple of other good chances that Newcastle had during the match, which they should have converted. But ultimately, they scored a legitimate goal, Darren. It should have stood. I think you're absolutely right. I can't really add too much more to that. And it it's a big part of the reason why this review from the Pedro MOL is taking place. And I'd go a little bit further as to say that there needs to be a review of the officials who seem to have been around forever. And some of their decision-making is just not as quick or considered as it should be. It should be the case that actually... Lee Mason Mason was retired as an on-field referee and given a job as a VAR. He, He should be an expert in VAR. Well, I was about to say, it should be the case that it's the other way around and you're relying on the experience of these guys to take a considered opinion. But what's happening is the poor decision that we had seen on the pitch prior to VAR, when everyone said they need help, they need monitors, that is simply moving into the booth. And those officials that were making poor decisions on the pitch are now making them in front of a screen. And that's what we need to change. I think the solution, I've said this a couple of times, I was on with our colleagues at Sky yesterday, we need to hear the dialogue between the VAR and the referee. Because uh, if we hear though that, that though, the remarks between them and it turns out that the VARs are making judgments that are poor, then we change the VARs. 
there needs to be transparency all round so that we all know what we're dealing with. Look, the, the, in the laws of the game, the IFAB protocol, which is attached to the VAR, you, you cannot broadcast that conversation. It is... It's not allowed. Well, right? well, okay. Hang on a minute. Well, 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 well. Howard Webb, they've trialed it in the MLS. Howard Webb, who's been over there, is coming yeah. over here to be the head of referees. Yeah. We, we, we don't exist in, in a bubble. I mean, we need to have we a situation do, where the, no, the game no. is not being dragged into disrepute the, the, week the, the, in, the, week out. The laws out. are the laws, and until the law changes, they cannot do it. I mean, that's a trial, maybe, okay, fine, but it, it cannot be done until it is in law. I think, personally, what should be happening is, is that that conversation that happens when the referee goes to a monitor for a big decision, that conversation should be broadcast not only to the audience that are watching at home, but it should be broadcast like it is in rugby uh, union, to the whole yeah. of the, the, the crowd as well. So everybody understands what's going on. Because actually, in those circumstances, you could always sort of fulfil the cues of the crowd because they will, if, if there's a major error by the VAR, the, the crowd will alert you to it. So the referee will ask the question, oh, are you sure about that? Have you seen this or whatever? But even so, once the VAR has made a mistake and pointed out that he thinks it's a foul on the goalkeeper, the referee can go and watch the footage and say, hold on, mate, what, what about this guy? Have you, have you seen that? You know, That's you actually just my have point. To accept it. But Sam, that's my point, that we need to know what the referee's position is compared to what the VAR's totally position is. Totally agree At with you, the moment, do what's in law. It's looking a lot like the ref like we are having the game refereed from a booth in Stockley Park. Yeah. And and um, we are the, the VAR is saying you've got to make this decision and the referee is saying, Okay, because how many times has a referee gone to the monitor and changed twice. his mind and, and said, No, I'm gonna stick with the decision I made in the first place? Well, it happened this weekend, actually. Michael Oliver did it in the game uh, between... But how many times has that happened? Not very often. And that's the thing. 99% of occasions, they go with the decision that's made rather than on the pitch. And Newcastle fans were quick to point out there is a number of incidents that have already affected them this season alone. The Wilson incident against Brighton, uh, the Shah, the Cher incident against Manchester City, the penalty, uh, Longstaff against Wolves, the Isaac offside and the 97th minute goal. Last against, season, Ryan Fraser uh, gets taken out by Edison in the game against Man City. A stone cold penalty if you ever saw it. And nobody, there was no penalty for them. And nobody could believe it. So do you and, think this is an anti-Newcastle conspiracy? Is that what you're saying, Dan? I don't think it's anti-Newcastle. I just think that there are... It, the teams are immaterial. The fact is that there are decisions that are as plain as a nose in your face and they are not being given. Sorry, Crook. No, I couldn't agree more. But ultimately, <laughs> the two officials who blundered this weekend are Jared Gillette and Lee Mason, two officials in my eyes not fit for purpose. Lee Mason was an awful referee. He's going to make an awful video assistant referee. Ultimately, it's not the technology. If you put me in charge of a jumbo jet, I'd probably struggle to keep it up in the air because I don't know how to use a jumbo jet and they clearly don't know how to use video technology. Shall we crack on to uh, the last few games of the weekend? Final two games to look at. Aston Villa against Manchester City finished 1-1 and Brighton beat Leicester 5-2. Two managers who are under scrutiny going into the weekend. One of them very much still under scrutiny in Brendan Rodgers. A 5-2 victory on Sunday afternoon for Brighton by five goals to two. And uh, look, this match was a terrific start. It was a goal after about 50 seconds when Nacho put Leicester in front. But they crumbled pretty quickly and Brighton deserved their victory because Leicester's defending crook was absolutely appalling. 
yeah, epitomised by the second goal, really, where <laughs> the two centre-backs almost just invited Brighton to run at them, made a massive hole in the middle of their defence, which the Seagulls uh, promptly exploited. 5-2 flat as Leicester, um, to be honest. I think, again, we, we saw what would have been a, a brilliant goal. It would have been a hat-trick goal uh, in the end for Alexis McAllister, chalked out by the most narrow of offside decisions. I'm still not 100% convinced the officials got that one right, but ultimately it didn't change the outcome. And uh, I think Brendan Rodgers is a manager bang under pressure now. If he wasn't already, I thought his team selection was odd. Didn't understand why he played. And Didi as a centre-back, I thought his substitutions were strange. Twice in a couple of weeks now, though, that he's done that with Didi. Yeah, well, they were chasing the game and he, he, he takes off Tillemans, who actually was probably their most effective player and brings on Daniel Amati. That sub didn't really make a lot of sense at all and you just can't see where Leicester go from here it's the first time they've ever started a Premier League season failing to win any of their first six games the last time they were on a run as poor of this in terms of successive defeats Claudio Ranieri was fired not that long after winning the title I think the Leicester owners have got a huge decision to make I think Brendan Rodgers is going to be out of Leicester City very soon he will not quit. Uh, we spoke to him live on the programme yesterday. He said he will continue to do his job. He likes working with the group of players um, until somebody else tells him that he should not be doing that job anymore. Um, but he was quite pointed after the midweek defeat to Manchester United about this being a different club to where it was two years ago and that they haven't been helped in the transfer market. Again, yesterday, he knew that the, the, that the result was pretty poor I think even Ian Abraham said to him that he thought that the Leicester's defending was shambolic and uh, the goalkeeper Danny Ward stopped it from becoming embarrassing and and, you know Brendan put his hands up and said actually yeah 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 Danny's made a couple of really good saves there you know sort of accepting that it was a poor performance Darren I don't think he's under pressure I think he wants to be sacked I think he doesn't want to be part of a Leicester side that isn't ambitious anymore you talked about his comments on Thursday I saw the game and the Leicester are not the same club they were. They 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 made one one signing, Voutface, at the week. Uh, oh, hold on, hold on. They made two signings. They also signed a goalkeeper that Bournemouth didn't think was fit enough to go on trial there. Of course, of course. <laughs> but bizarrely, I mean, and and I think it says everything about where they are. The players that gave them that fairy tale moment eight years, six years ago, was it? Um, they're all gone. The coach has turned back into a pumpkin. I. It, Rodgers is a guy who wants to compete at the upper end of the Premier League. He challenged for the title at Liverpool. He lifted the title at Celtic. He is a guy who came to Leicester because they promised him that they would be able to get into Europe and compete. And he got them into Europe and they were competing. But the tap has been turned off and he doesn't want to be part of it. When that decision is made, and I don't doubt it will be made, he'll be relieved. Everyone will be relieved because suddenly they can go for a, a manager that's hungry for the job, whereas someone who's fallen, whereas Rogers is someone who's fallen out of love with the job. Not necessarily the club, but the job. And I think he'll be happy to leave the club. Yeah, uh, if we had a big sort of uh, a guillotine uh, emoji that could come over. Uh, every week and sort of sit above a manager. This week it would be Brendan Rodgers. But last week it would have been Steven Gerrard. Um, now, what's your, what's your what's your new hot take on Steven Gerrard? Alex, we know you like to just sort of mix it up every week and, you know, one minute you're a fan, next minute you're not. Scott Parker's my best mate. I'm going to dress like him. Now he's outrageous. Go on, what, what, what is it today? 
Well, listen, I don't think Stephen Gerrard is out of the woods yet. One result doesn't change the fact that he has found wins hard to come by um, over the course of, what, 33 games now as a Premier League manager. But clearly this is a, a step in the right direction. Again, uh, a change of, of tactic in terms of the way that he used the forward players. But they got the job done uh, against Manchester City. It's a fantastic point for a team who would have been low in confidence um, after what happened in midweek. And Aston Villa fans and Steven Gerrard will be hoping it proves to be a turning point. But we'll only really find that out over the next couple of weeks to see if they can back it up with positive results. Um, uh, I thought Erling Haaland obviously uh, contributed heavily again. Ten goals in six games. I did a stat for last Monday night's uh, show which uh, suggested that uh, if he continued at his rate of uh, XG, 1.62 per 90, um, he would get 55 goals over the course of the Premier League season. (laughs) At which point I said, he's not going to get 55 goals uh, because obviously no one gets 55 goals. But I think Mo Salah's record is is under threat. And then after Wednesday night's hat-trick, I texted Adrian Durham, who was presenting that show, and I went... He might get 50 goals, you know. <laughs> I mean, it, it honestly is outrageous, isn't it? I mean, he is... I mean, the, 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 best, the best moment of this game for me was when Carl Walker burst down the right-hand side, gets into the penalty, gets to the byline and shoots from a really tight angle. First thing, mm. it's Carl Walker. No disrespect, no. but the likelihood of him scoring is quite low. The likelihood of him yep. scoring from a tight angle is incredibly low, especially when Erling Haaland is standing on the edge of the six-yard box, having peeled off the defender and is completely free. He went mad. He went... He's 22 years of age. Carl Walker's a senior player. He was ferocious in his criticism, banging the ground, screaming at him, absolutely over-the-top, bellowing in his face, give me the ball in that circumstance. And I tell you what, I, I wouldn't be able to not. I, I was scared sitting and watching from 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 my television uh, booth. So there's no way on this earth that uh, a Carl Walker is going to be able to keep that up. He'll get more goals, won't he? I mean, he, he he's going to score 35, 40 goals this season. I want to give you some football analysis, but I'm just going to say this: Erling Haaland is like one of those supervillains that you see in the sequel of a, a franchise. Or, or the second series of a boxer, and and you think to yourself, how are they going to kill this guy? How on earth are they going to stop this guy? Because he is just formidable. He is probably the most formidable player I have ever seen in the Premier League, and I would include the likes of Ronaldo in all of that. Because when Ronaldo arrived, he was quite raw, quite callow. A little they, bit they, younger. They, he had tricks and flicks. He was a little bit younger, but you know, the first season there was lots of hype but he didn't leave you open-mouthed like Haaland does. Like you say, the rate at which he scores, the strength when players try to challenge him and bounce off him, um, the aerial ability, the movement, he has no weaknesses. And I I think as far as he's concerned, one of the best headlines at the weekend was in the uh, Sun on Sunday, and the headline was just a one Erling. And that was the big surprise. What's wrong with him? He's only scored once. Um, He is just a formidable footballer. And I think we have one of the world's great footballers um, beginning his Premier League career in this country. And you're right. I think he's going to smash all Premier League records this season. Uh, he's like the mind flayer from Stranger Things, isn't he? He's almost impossible to kill. You need 11. 
um, to sort him out. And actually, you probably need 11 players to stop him from scoring. Um, he he's is like super the 1000 from Terminator it's, it's 2. just unbelievable. Yeah, we don't know that, uh, Darren. You know, we're too, too, too young. Um, I, I struggle with the Stranger Things reference, to be honest with you. <laughs> Uh, right listen thank you very much stranger things have happened but we have come to an end Uh, appreciate your contributions to the podcast this morning Uh, the game day podcast from TalkSport always available on Spotify on Apple or wherever you get your podcast also available on the TalkSport app and you can watch it on the TalkSport YouTube channel thank you very much gentlemen we'll see you Thursday thank you Scott McTomin eh The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. 